We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. And today we're going to turn our draft profile series over to a riser on draft boards, someone who has scorched up draft boards in recent weeks, and that's J.C. Horn. Pedigree player, son of Joe Horn, who a lot of people might remember for the time where he Pulled that cell phone trick in the end zone against the New York Giants on a primetime football game. I believe it was Monday Night Football. If anyone has ill will towards Joe, don't carry that over to JC because he's a prospect who I'm actually extremely excited about and I can't wait to dive into with Nick. From what I've seen so far, I don't think he's a perfect prospect, a perfect cornerback yet, or a a fully refined cornerback yet, but as far as prospect goes and the upside there, and I know last podcast when we talked about Quiddy Pay, we talked about floor versus ceiling. As far as ceiling goes with this kid, Horn, I'm extremely excited. So I want to start here, Nick, when it comes to Horn. A lot of discussion has been talked about and made about Patrick Graham not being able to fully design the system to his liking in 2020 with the Giants because he wasn't able to play as much man coverage, at least not as much as he played in Miami and not as much as he would like to. He's even gone and said it. Joe Judge has confirmed this, that they had to kind of change their entire system after the first couple weeks when they realized they didn't have the guns to play man coverage. So I think anytime we consider any of these quarterbacks in this draft, the first and most important question we're going to ask with any of these prospects is, how is their technique in man coverage, and can they come in right away and be somebody who who Patrick Graham can look at and be like, okay, this guy, his technique is on point, and we can afford to play him and man coverage early and change our system around a little bit to feature more man coverage? I think he can. I really do. He's a long, physical guy, has excellent athletic ability, stays in phase on horizontal man coverage, and is good in vertical uh, man coverage 
as well. I think he has excellent lateral movement skills and his ball skills are amazing and that's what you really want. Can he get to the catch point and can he disrupt the catch? Can he disrupt the wide receiver's ability to make and secure that catch? And he can do all those things and that's why he had such great numbers in college. That doesn't mean he's necessarily perfect from a technical standpoint. Impress man, there were times where I did see some false steps when he takes that inside foot. He steps forward when he really doesn't have to, and he does open his gate a little early at times. Usually when you're in those press man situations, when that receiver goes into their release, say if they start fading outside, you don't want to open your gate outside and give him a free pass to just drive off of his outside foot back inside, you want to kind of shuffle towards him a little bit. Shuffle, be patient, stay square. And then once he fully commits and enters that stem, that's when you kind of ride him up and then you can commit your hips. But I do feel like he opens his gate a little bit early, does have some false steps on the line of scrimmage when he's impressed, man. But overall, I really do like him. And I think you nailed it, Dan. He has a ton of of upside because he can play man coverage. These technical flaws don't mean he can't. Those are just things that can be cleaned up to maximize his skill set. And if there's a coach that can do that, his name is Patrick Graham. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's not just Graham. I feel like we give all the credit to Graham. But I think, more importantly, the entire coaching staff from the assistants down, from sorry, from Graham down through and including the assistants that Joe Judge assembled is a big reason for why the Giants defense took such a step forward. Despite, honestly, Minimal investments from the GM, very minimal investments from the GM over the last three years, and yet the defense out of nowhere kind of became this unit that can help the Giants win football games, and a lot of times, like that Seattle game, single-handedly win the Giants football games. And I think what we noticed, and a lot of these talking points, you know, a lot of discussions made, oh, why is Joe Judge and and these assistants having the Giants tape tennis balls to their hands, uh, having the Giants defensive backs tape, tape tennis balls to their hands during training camp practice as well? It ended up working out. All the techniques that they tr- that they that they have gone over. We talked about it on that play with Jabril Peppers when he got beat on the wheel route with Boston Scott in the first Philly game, the one that they lost on that play, and how later in the season he had a very similar play, and you saw the corrected technique. And I think you see in a lot of ways what kind of impact the coaches had on these Giants defensive backs in one year without with a basically a minimized training camp, no preseason, no OTAs, none of that. And so when I see a prospect like Horn, who has the pedigree, and I'm a big pedigree guy. I love Winfield for that reason. There's a lot of good examples of guys who come from good pedigree, not only from the athletic standpoint, but from just work ethic, training, knowing what, you know, having a father who's been through it and who knows the ins and outs of the NFL. When you factor that in with his upside that you just discussed with the potential to get a lot better from coaching, I'm really excited about this player, Nick. And I will ask you this when it comes to Horn. Because this is somebody who, through mid-November, and he did opt out after seven games to start preparing for the NFL draft, but through mid-November, he was PFF's second-ranked cornerback. And through that point, he had allowed an SEC low, 33% completion rate against SEC wide receivers. He finished 28th overall, but he only allowed eight catches on 24 targets for 116 yards in seven games. Eight catches in seven games. And at the same time, according to PFF, he averaged 27.4 coverage snaps per catch. Literally, they almost had 30 snaps go by in a game in coverage. We're not even including the run plays without him allowing a catch on the receiver he was guarding. So as far as the technical issues go with someone like J.C. Horn, do you feel like they would be exploited at the next level? Is that a concern to you at all? Because I know sometimes with these players, the technical issues don't often show up on college tape when they do in the NFL. I think a good example of that might even be a recent giant, DeAndre Baker, who also similarly had 
dominant stats in the SEC, did not give up catches, was basically barely targeted because his coverage was so good. And so do you see that being an issue for him in year one early on? I think it can uh, definitely be an issue early on if he keeps making these kind of mistakes. Receivers are very, very savvy, and they see a cornerback several times throughout one game. If they see you fall step, they're going to take advantage. They're going to go back to the huddle and be like, look, this guy keeps stepping with his inside foot up. There's really no reason for him to do that, and he's reaching and lunging at me with his jam, which isn't something you see too much from Horn. He's kind of controlled with his jam, with his one-hand jam, and sometimes he even flashes a two-hand jam. I don't know if you're going to see that a lot at the NFL because you could really get abused Hmm. with that type of technique. But I think if he does land with the Giants, say, Jerome Henderson, who is the defensive backs coach coming back this season, could definitely correct those types of things and those types of errors. And I have faith in this coaching staff to correct those things. If you guys want to see a really, really good tape of J.C. Horn, it would be what he did against Auburn, Auburn, against Seth Williams, who's probably going to be a third-round pick, a very good receiver in his own right from everything I've seen. But that tape is kind of goes around draft circles as this is what he can be. He was just always at the catch point. He was always disrupting the receiver's ability to catch the football, getting his hands in there, found his way into a couple interceptions. That was a dominant performance in an Auburn game, and I don't want to downplay Seth Williams because he's somebody who I think is a massive sleeper, and I remember he was originally talked about in the draft community before all these other guys came up as a potential first-round guy. His ability to win in the red zone and at the catch point is pretty impressive, and his body control is pretty impressive. He made Seth Williams look like somebody who should be a late-round pick in that game. It was a dominant performance, his best of probably his career at South Carolina, for sure, without a doubt. And even though he didn't obviously rack up the interceptions at the collegiate level, he had 23 pass breakups. And one thing I wanted to talk about with Horn, and I wanted to see how you felt, because it's not just the pass breakups. He finished his three years with 101 tackles, seven tackles for a loss, three sacks, and then obviously those 23 passes defense. He's somebody who's kind of always around the football, both in the pass and run game. In my mind, from what I've been seeing from watching Horn, he's super aggressive and physical in the run game, and he uses his length really well. How do you view him as a run defender? Because I believe that the ability for that second corner to be sure in run defense, sure tackler, aggressive, physical, is super important in Patrick Graham's system. We saw it with Yidem, why he got a lot of snaps until the end of the year, and we saw and you know, he wasn't a total liability because of his physical. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the run game. And then even Darnay Holmes was really physical and helpful in the run game. He can definitely pound, and he's a solid tackler, I would say. There were 
his aggressiveness, I think you can say, works against him sometimes because I have seen him fly in there, kind of miss tackles sometimes. But there are highlights of him kind of coming downhill and laying the wood on people, and you could see the kind of play strength that he has. And he's definitely somebody who's a chirper, which you love in a defensive back. They have that chip on their shoulder. They like to talk. They like to get in the wide receiver's head. He definitely seems like he has that type of mentality about him, which I appreciate as a uh, fan of football. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about J.C. Horn, some background, some more stats. Before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our... Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sponsors. Listen, folks, the Super Bowl is coming up. And sure, we'll all be watching the game. But the best way to celebrate the biggest day in football is to bet on the game. We want to let you know about a great resource for sports bettors, the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game across all the professional leagues. You can see money and bet percentages on every game, so you can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of pro systems which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the best way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com now and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code ROTOVIZ. That's R-O-T-O-V-I-Z. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code ROTOVIZ, all one word, to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. Here's a stat, Nick, that really stood out to me, and it's courtesy of Pro Football Focus College. According to PFF College, This is the stat for the coverage snaps played per catch allowed by outside cornerbacks during the 2020 season. Number one, J.C. Horn. Almost 40 snaps, according to PFF College, without allowing a single reception, which is insane. 
Number three on the list is Patrick Sertan, who's being talked about and ballyhooed as a top 10 prospect, maybe the best corner in this draft. That's He's considerably lower than Horn. He allowed a reception on every 24.6 coverage snaps. And so when I see something like that, it really stands out to me because it means A, opposing quarterbacks aren't targeting Horn, and B, when they are, it's not the catch is not being made at the catch point and I really when I watched this kid I'm really excited about him I wanted to see if you the one thing that stood out to me and I wanted to see if this stood out to you is his ability to have really good awareness and coverage I think I believe I'm trying to remember who put it out I believe it was former defensive back Eric Crocker he put out a clip that really caught my attention and he has the all 22 and he was diving into it and he showed a play where Horn had great did a great job of communicating in banjo coverage had the awareness to kind of expect where the route was going to be and where and then he not only directed he he flowed to where the route ended up being thrown to the to the, where the receiver was to their intended receiver but also pointed out to the other cornerback where he was supposed to go just before the snap because he recognized based on what the offense was showing what the coverage had to switch into so i thought i saw great awareness from horn as well as did I. That was apparent on his film. Whenever they were in zone coverage, they did play a lot of man from what I saw, but whenever they were in zone coverage, it seemed like he understood route concepts, reacted well on underneath throws, and wasn't being baited away from his zone, had discipline within that zone. And you were mentioning those stats uh, about just how affected he was in college. I mean, South Carolina also has Israel Mukumamu, I yeah. believe it is, who's another really good cornerback who's going to be probably a early day three type of pick. So it's not like teams were just automatically avoiding Horn because there was another cornerback who's going to be in the NFL that was out there. Yeah, that's an excellent sign. The fact that he was playing alongside a definite NFL cornerback. And, and Israel might end up being even earlier pick just because he has a different profile, I think, than a lot of these corners because he's so long. He's kind of freakishly long. And I think some teams, like the Dolphins specifically, like those kind of corners. They've kind of shown that. Not that they need a corner, but I think other teams who kind of fit a similar mold. So that's an excellent point as well. I want to give a little background on Horn as well. As a sophomore in 2019, he started all 12 games, had 40 tackles with nine high, a team-high nine pass breakups and two forced fumbles. He had that dominant performance we were talking about against Auburn and Seth Williams, but he also had it as a sophomore. When he had five tackles, two forced fumbles, a sack, and a pass breakup against North Carolina. I think he's somebody who consistently got better as he moved forward in his career, which is something we're looking for. And he's originally someone who wasn't one of the highest ranked prospects. He was the number 22 cornerback in the a prospect in the country, according to 24-7 sports and their rankings, and only the number 206 overall recruit in that class. So I think he's somebody who despite having the pedigree, Joe Horn's son has kind of played himself into the position he's at right now. So I'll ask you these questions, Nick. We're going to go through all of these questions as we move forward with every single prospect. The first one would be, how do you think he specifically fits into Patrick Graham's system? I think he fits well. I think we saw Patrick Graham's system not be used to its fullest potential last year because he was hamstrung by that cornerback two spot. And I think some injuries in the middle of the season and the fact that Xavier McKinney wasn't around kept Julian Love playing that center field type of role instead of them moving him back to cornerback when we saw him have some success towards the end of the season. I think if you add somebody like J.C. Horn to the team, I think it's going to allow you to play man coverage because he can effectively play man coverage. He has shown that, and he's not going to be a liability. And I think you're going to see a lot of different types of of coverages on the back back end. We saw a lot of trap coverages anyways. I think you could see even more and you could see some more pressure packages with man coverage on the back end because you don't have an Isaac Yidem starting 
all your games. That's a big reason why the Giants played zone, and the zone worked for them as well. I'm not saying they're going to totally stray away from zone, but let's not forget that Patrick Graham used man coverage predominantly at Miami when he was a defensive coordinator for Brian Flores. So I think he can come in here and fit in very well, and he would allow them to play press man as well. Because I think James Bradbury is a good enough cornerback to play really any scheme. He really thrives in zone. He thrived in zone in Carolina. He thrived in zone last year, but I do believe he has the skill set and the athletic ability to play in any scheme. And if you bring in Horn to be that cornerback too, I think you can run a lot more press man. And all those little technical difficult or deficiencies that I brought up earlier, I think those can be cleaned up. They're definitely correctable. And there's nothing about JC Horn that suggests he's not coachable. Yeah, I was going to say, he actually, it's the opposite. JC Horn was a two-time SEC honor rule student and so he's somebody who clearly and you know obviously has his good pedigree based on everything I've read about him and his father obviously former NFL player and obviously had that one you know whatever incident that people talk about when he made that cell phone thing he was just having fun that was nothing that I hold against him this is a 29 game starter in the SEC and we know Dave get we know one thing for sure about Dave Gettleman he really likes longevity from a start standpoint when he's evaluating these prospects he likes two things how many games did they start did they get a lot of games in and did they play in a big conference he's really big on both of those two things and it's been it's been documented in all the selections. So I think this is somebody who will be on their radar for that reason. I think Nick brings up an excellent point. When I watch Horn, I really feel like he could be someone who excels big time in trap coverages with the Giants. I feel like he's an awesome player when he's moving forward and he's really at really good at the catch point. And I like those type of players. I think he can be physical. I think he can have a lot of pass breakups for the Giants early on in his career. His instinctive ability to kind of come downhill and drive to the catch point would really help in like cut type of coverages where he can play outside, say if it's a three-by-one set, the number three receiver, the tight end, say, say standing up, he runs a flat route, and the number two allows him to do that. Number two drops off, takes the number one receiver, and basically that coverage turns into a cover two where you have that cornerback sitting there in the flat waiting to intercept that flat. And if this is a quick little concept for the offense, say if they're running quick game and they just want to get the ball out to the flat on a second and six or something like that to try to pick up a first down, I think J.C. Horn could be an excellent player to kind of bait that. And then he has the hips to definitely kind of turn and then drive downhill, kind of baiting the coverage and then just intercepting that pass on the quarterback. I completely agree with that. And I think that's what makes him such a fun prospect to me. I think he'd be a really fun prospect on this defense. We'll see what happens. So I'll ask you my next question. PFF has him listed for what it's worth as their 24th overall prospect. First, is he somebody you think would be worthy of the number 11 overall pick if the Giants don't move? That's maybe a little bit rich as of right now. Agreed. I I haven't gotten to Farley and Sertan's tape extensively. I've seen them a little bit, and what I see from both of them, to me, I I like them more than Horn as of right now, but I have not gotten to nearly enough of their tape. And Farley, I have to dig back to 2019, but Sertan, from everything I saw from the uh, 2020 season, he seems like he's going to be a really effective player in the NFL who could play man coverage, who's incredibly smart, who can play zone. So uh, I like what I see from that. I wouldn't put Horn ahead of him quite yet, but that definitely isn't solidified. And as you said last podcast, Dan, it's something that can definitely happen as I dive more into some of the tape. I already did my write-up on J.C. Horn, but I'm not done watching J.C. Horn. I'm still going to try to get into some of his stuff and and find out what he's all about. If I can get my hands on any 2020 tape, it's kind of hard to find. And as we said last podcast, and I'll say every podcast, nothing we say in January of 2021 is locked and is set in stone and is locked locked up. 
our opinions now and our analysis now will change as we have the ability to watch more film and as we have the ability to study these prospects more and as they test out jc horn will be a completely different prospect if he runs a four five flat than if he runs a four low four threes or high four threes times 40 it's just in general that's how it's going to go he's going to be a different prospect in the mind of nfl gms where he goes in this draft especially in a truncated offseason where the combine is going to look different. Pro days are going to look different. The senior bowl is going to look different. There's going to be a lot less information for every single one per, uh, g- general manager out there. I don't even believe the combine's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, going to be a bunch of pro days. It's going to be a be, wild. It's going to be a weird, weird. Who knows what's going to happen? It's still kind of up in the air. I think I would agree with you. At this point in time, he's not on my radar for 11. I will say this, though. If the Giants do shock the world and Dave Gettleman makes his first trade back in the history of his life as a GM and he just shocks us, he says, you know what? I see it. There's a lot of good prospects in this teen range and I want more picks to fill our massive amounts of holes. I'll make the trade back. I'll find a trade partner. Someone wants to move up for whatever position it is. 11's a really good trade trade up spot. We saw the Steelers a couple years ago trade up to 10 with the Broncos from 20. So if something like that happens with the Giants, he is someone who I would actually target most likely in that late teens range. Yeah, and that was for not even a quarterback. That was for Devin Bush. Yes. So, I mean, a team could just really need one yes. position and they could be head over heels in love with one of these prospects and they can go in that direction. But it's going to come down to Dave Gettleman. You're going to have to open those phone lines up, brother. Yeah. And you're going to have to try to investigate to see if there's value out there. And honestly, I would, I would, I would think I would like that, to be honest, where I'm at right now, maybe in April... I might be saying something different, but I would love to get more, you know, another third round pick, a couple fourth round picks, yes. maybe a two or something like that. Obviously, if, if it's a big trade like that, you would get a lot more than that. But yes. that would definitely be something that I would be a fan of. As I've said before, I wrote this on Twitter and I stand by it. It's no coincidence the Giants found more contributors on day three this year than they have in in many years because they had six picks they had six swings at it they didn't have their normal four they had an extra two swings to try to find guys you need swings it's an imperfect prospect take more darts the more dart throws you have the better chance you have so i completely agree with you where i'm at right now that might change as i evaluate these prospects there's a chance i'm going to fall in love with kyle pitts and he might be there at 11 and i might just be like i don't want to lose the opportunity at this guy because i really haven't seen a tight end like him in in a long time or i don't even want to call him a tight end a a weapon a like receiver him, a receiver who can also line up a tight end and he's not a bad blocker he might not he's be really wide not but he's a receiver yeah exactly <laughs> a receiver a weapon on your offense who could change your entire offense especially with how much quick game garrett's gonna want to run and garrett runs i mean this guy is a really good player and we'll see what happens with that and we'll see what happens with all these prospects but horn is definitely on my radar if they trade back horn had a nice little rep against Pitts. he he squared up against i was him. gonna say let's talk about that rep because i think that was a really interesting rep to break down from the sense that ultimately it goes down as a reception against horn but if you look at the play and you break it all down and you'll do this for us right now nick it's not a knock on horn at all yeah if i remember correctly it's been a little while since i saw that rep he might have had a false step with his inside foot but i'm not 100 percent on that but going up he opened his gate and once pitts released outside and they're running along the sideline he's kind of squeezing pitts towards the sideline and really good positioning and really good coverage might be a little bit high but he's playing outside in which a lot of people are taught to play now you see a lot of inside out and what i mean by that is his face is facing towards the sideline so he can basically look up and see the football and see the quarterback by looking over his inside shoulder so the difference there is you can take away the back shoulder throw now on this throw on this throw he did not (laughs) that's just because Pitts is an absolute beast and it was a really nice open trash but you execute that coverage because 
while ago, when the back shoulder throw became really, really prominent in the NFL, people were playing normal, you know, back to the sidelines and eyes on the quarterback, chest towards the middle of the field, and the back shoulder throw was just hit constantly, constantly, constantly. But now you see a lot more players playing outside in, and that's a really good technique to play. Yeah, you're facing the sideline, but you wait for that receiver to commit himself up the stem outside, then you open the gate, and then you basically engage him. You can kind of keep your hands on him a little bit. You can turn your head, see the quarterback, see if the ball is being thrown, and now there's no option for that backside throw. When you're playing the other technique, that back shoulder throws there all day because you're just running up the field and you have no feel for the wide receiver because you can't freaking see him. So he was in pretty good position there. It was just a really good play by Pitts and Trask. So that's a pretty fun rep that he ended up quote-unquote losing. And again, I think the technique could be a little bit better, but from an outside-in kind of perspective, he was in position there. Yeah, and it was good recovery. And I think the key takeaway for me, and I've seen that rep several times, is that there are I don't know, a handful of receivers, I think, at the NFL level who could make that body adjustment in the air to that back shoulder ball and then also come down with the catch like Kyle Pitts did. Why am I very excited about Kyle Pitts from my early viewings, my early studies? It's because of rare traits, and that is a rare trait. Body control and contested catchability and natural hands are basically the reason why DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best receivers in the NFL. He does not have elite speed. Anyone who watches DeAndre Hopkins knows that. The guy ran a 4.58. And that's why he went all the way at the end of round one, just simply because of the 4-5-8, which ended up meaning absolutely nothing at the NFL level is 4-5-8. It's a joke. It's a joke that DeAndre Hopkins didn't go in the top 10. It's a joke that he didn't go in the top five. And I think Kyle Pitts is going to probably run a good speed for his size. I've already seen rumored he's going to run a 4-6 at 260, which is insane. Or he's either, I think he's 240 in the mid-240s. But whatever it may be, his ability to make contested catches and his body control in the air it shows up on a rep like that. I don't blame the corner at all. If he runs a 4-6, he's going to be available for the Giants. Eventually. I, I think evaluators see 4-6 and they get turned off by that. Even though he's 240 pounds. I know, I know. 245 I know, pounds. I'm telling you, man, some evaluators are really rigid with their process. I feel like they've gotten a lot better yes. over the last... 10 years because they saw Russell Wilson and they were like, oh, this guy checks every single box, but you know what? He's 5'11", so screw him. And then the Jags drafted a freaking punter in front of them, and Russell Wilson goes on and wins a Super Bowl. So I think a lot of evaluators have done a better job with that, but some of them are still definitely rigid with their, their process, I'd say. Yeah, without a doubt. I think it's so funny what you just said, the Jags drafting a punter over Russell Wilson. Can you imagine being that GM? Unbelievable. There's still a GM currently employed in the NFL who traded up into the second round for a kicker who's out of the NFL. Yeah, I never understood that. And now they're in the conference championship. Yeah, thanks, Tom Brady. Thanks for Tom Brady. But in uh, Jason Light's defense, I feel like he's done a good job assembling the roster down there. Uh, in more recent years, I hey, used to be—I used to be very critical of him. To me be too. I feel like he's done yeah. so much better. Winfield was a slam dunk pick. Carlton Davis was a slam dunk pick. Tristan Wirfs—he got literally—if you redid this draft, Tristan Wirfs would go four overall. He might even go higher. Who knows? Well, I don't think he'd go over Chase Young, Ju- Joe Burrow, or Justin two. Herbert. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you you got, got to it. factor that. Yes. And I was doing it with. The I know you're doing without the quarterbacks, and I was yeah, thinking about it yeah. before. He probably still doesn't go over Chase Young, and he probably still uh, he definitely go over doesn't go over Chase Young. And I, I would say, I, honestly, if we were to, let's do this really quickly because I know we're going on time. I think it goes Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Chase Young right now, right? I think it goes Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Chase Young. I would uh, rather Burrow, but I think NFL, if they could mm, see what I they think, saw on tape, you, they would go Herbert. I think you might be right there, Dan. And I think I'm in the minority for for long-term thinking Burrow will be better than Herbert right now. Yeah, the NFL missed on Herbert. Pretty much. I mean, they I mean, missed on Josh the, Allen, too. They missed. There's been a lot of misses on those type of prospects. He was drafted in the top 10. But, like, 
someone with that skill set and the impact that he had in his uh, rookie yeah. season should go one or two easily. So, like, you consider that kind of a miss on the NFL, but the Chargers were the benefit of it for sure. Yeah, and weirdly enough, after the draft, the Chargers GM Tom Telesco had an odd comment that I remember we wrote about on CBS Sports the minute it was said. They got a ton of interaction on social media. People were so, like, confused by it. He said, we were prepared to take either of the two quarterbacks. We didn't have a preference, Tua or Herbert. Mm -hmm. So whatever that means, I don't understand that, how you could have no preference over your quarterback, but that's apparently what Tom Telesco and the Chargers organization how their evaluation process and th- went and there's a lot to play out obviously they yes. only had their rookie seasons but as of right now i, oh I think two general managers <laughs> would take justin herbert over two i don't think yeah i don't think there's a- <laughs> <laughs> i mean i couldn't imagine anyone taking Tua over herbert right now i was never huge on Tua. you guys know it from the past podcast i didn't see it i didn't get it i really didn't get it with Tua. he didn't have unbelievable arm talent and he was small and he wasn't super athletic. I just, I don't really see, I think he could still be a good NFL quarterback. It's one year, and he was really good from an anticipation standpoint mm-hmm. at Alabama. He did a good job leading his receivers. But then you go and watch Mac Jones this year with that same kind of insane, ta- insane talent at receiver with Leatherwood and all the guys on their new beefed-up offensive line and with Starkeesian, who just got a job because he was doing such a good job. And you're like, eh, could, like, how much is the quarterback really doing in this system? And I remember thinking when I watched Tua, like, there sure are a lot of slants in this offense and a lot of quick hitting stuff that really just puts it in the receiver's hands and lets him in space just take over the play and I don't know we'll see with two we'll see with Herbert but I think you're right 32 NFL GMs right now would take Herbert over to but anyway let's get back into the podcast and let's wrap up this one with a few questions from the listeners the first one is from Kurt who asks successful owners in professional sports tend to hire experts to make decisions and then get out of the way particularly with regards to personnel and coaching unsuccessful owners do the opposite they meddle they make those decisions themselves see Jeff Wilpon former Mets owner one of the most hated men among Mets fans and I can confirm that as a Mets fan where does Mara land on this scale I feel like for the longest time John Mara no one everyone thought of him like the former part of this question they thought of him like he was not a meddler he got his football guys in there and he got out of the way i would say it's probably been about six years around the end of that tom coughlin era i felt like he started meddling a lot more especially towards the end of eli manning's career and the perception of him has now been that he's a kind of a big meddler i don't necessarily think he's a huge meddler but I do feel like he's definitely had his say in a lot of things over the last six years or so for the New York Giants, but it's nowhere near the majority of owners that the New York enterprise of sports kind of has. A lot of these owners, and I will not name any names, but a lot of these owners are are huge meddlers, and I don't think John Mayer is quite there. Yeah, I, I think, Kurt, I don't buy it as much as the kind of the narrative is kind of taken off in like a railroad train. It's kind of picked up steam as it's rolled through the station. I don't really buy it as much. I don't think really anything the Giants have done, with the exception maybe of bringing back Eli for the 2019 season on that salary when they could have cleared up a decent amount of cap space. I don't think he's really meddled in almost anything else. I really don't believe that. I believe it was his decision ultimately, and it was the wrong decision to keep Josh Brown on the roster after finding out what he knew about what Josh Brown did domestic violence wise with his wife and then i read the story about what happened at the pro bowl mara knew about that and he still decided to go for him because he was a great kicker and he thought he could keep it under the wraps that's he an was o- great at jace i always thought he was a little overrated maybe he's a little overrated kickers are always overrated but 
As far as the rest of this stuff goes, I don't buy anything about the 2018. I think it's a BS narrative. I think Dave Gettleman loves Saquon Barkley. He took Saquon Barkley. I think Dave Gettleman loved Will Hernandez. He took Will Hernandez. I think Dave Gettleman believes in running the football and stopping the run as the two most important things. And I think that's how that roster was shaped. Now, as far as building around Eli Manning for one last run, that's fine and well to say, but the Giants are going to get out of all those contracts after next year. Solder is the only one remaining, and it would have been done by now if not for this opt-out, which was weird and random and unexpected due to COVID. So they would have already been through that. It doesn't have that much of a massive pull on what can happen. Now, one of my questions would be OBJ, yeah. though. Odell Beckham. And I think that's one that may be fair that John Merrill wanted good him to cut, stay. Good, great and that's point. the one that I think I I, I do have my reservations for that I think John Merrill had something to do with that. I think he went, what was it, week two or week three of that season after he got paid and did great his point. whole thing on ESPN. I missed that one. Yeah, and then and then uh, that's when I think Gettleman was like, look, this guy's not it. And then Merrill signed off on the trade the next offseason. That's an excellent point when it comes to Odell Beckham. Because I was going to say, with Eli Manning, I think Kurt yeah. and everyone else, you got to give him a pass. I mean, Eli Manning had done so much for the franchise that he earned that extra season in my mind even if it was going to be some some bad cap usage who cares the Giants drafted a quarterback that year anyway if they freed up that Eli money it wouldn't have really done much for them I don't think there weren't any big free agents they didn't sign who would have made a massive difference it was a pretty poor free agent class when it comes to the top of the market not many of those deals are working out right now now as far as Odo Beckham Jr which Nick brought up I think it's an excellent point I mean I didn't really think about that but everything you read after the fact says that it was really Shermer and Ma- Shermer to a lesser extent, really Mara, who wanted to give Odo Beckham one more chance, who understood that this guy has, and there's a lot of things with Beckham that I think people don't realize that happen beyond, behind the scenes. I don't think it's just, you look at this issue, like the ESPN interview, and you say, that's why the Giants wanted to move on from Beckham. I think a lot of it had to do with his personality and his approach to football and who he was and his role and importance on the roster and his role and importance to the team. I'll be honest with you, when I went to training camp and I watched that team with Odell Beckham, it looked different than when I saw the team without Odell Beckham because it seemed like there were special rules for Odell Beckham, not just with the media, but with his players. And there was a lot of attention around Beckham at every training camp practice. And that's from the fans as well, because everybody wanted to, you know, he's the star. Everybody wanted, but he, the way he handled being the star isn't the same way Eli Manning handled being the star, isn't really even close to the same way Saquon Barkley handles being the star. And I think that ultimately is the biggest reason the Giants moved on from Beckham. I, I would agree with that. I think there's a lot that goes into it. I think that was just the kind of this, the final straw, I guess you could say, in proving that he could be shipped out of town. All right, Louis Mangia, and that might be Mangia, Mangia, I'm not sure. Mangia, wow. That, Mangia I feel Italian. like I'm at dinner with my parents yeah, right Mangia. now. They always say that to me, and I call them out every time. I it's, feel a, like- <laughs> it's the funniest thing ever. They're always like, hey, Nick, Mangia. And I'm like, hey, Dad, shut up. You're from America. Like, <laughs> like, I literally hit them with that like all the time. I think three or four out of every ten Italian kitchens I've ever sat and ate dinner in have a big Mangia plaque over yeah. like the kitchen sink. Like, oh, eat, stay, Mangia. There's always like a Mangia. Mangia with me. But you know what? It's probably Mangia, Louis. I don't know. This is an incredibly Italian-sounding name, Louis Mangia. Love it. Love it. And guess what? Nick Filato is a big fan of yours. And I did him the favor of reading this question because his track record uh, (laughs) pronouncing Italian last names and first names even to to some extent is just beyond disgustingly bad for someone who's Italian. This one would have been very, very easy. Well, well, we don't know because we didn't give you the opportunity. We'll find out on a later podcast. Next Italian name I will force you to read. I still think I said the other one right, correct to the Italian language. I just didn't say it like Americans say it. 
Well, guess what? You are American, my friend. I am American. And we live in northern Jersey, and we speak things in Italian, Jersey Italian American. Speaking of Italians, <laughs> we have one in the NFC East now coaching the Philadelphia Eagles. Seriani. Seriani. This dude is going to not, and he's going he's going to just deny every Philly cheesesteak and want pasta nah, every, after nah, every game. He doesn't game. want Philly cheesesteaks, but you know what? He might consider the roast pork at the Knicks. For anyone who doesn't know, I don't like many things about Philadelphia as a city, as a people, the fan base. But when I went to Philadelphia, I have a good friend who's in Phil- who lives in Philadelphia. I, I say good friend, even though I probably should qualify with the fact that as good of a friend can be as somebody who's a diehard Eagles fan. And that can only be such a... So, <laughs> you can only be rise so high on my ranks if you're a diehard Eagles fan because I'm getting annoying texts when you guys are good. I'm dealing with all your annoying crap about, oh, Carson Wentz, when the early Carson Wentz reviews were, we're going to dominate the NFC East for decades. But listen... When I did visit him, he told me, I will show you the single best sandwich you've ever eaten. And when someone hypes something up like that, it is so hard to follow through. Almost always it's a miss because you're hyping it to the highest level. But you know what? He was right. And I have since made, every time I've driven by Philly, sometimes I go there. My cousin lived there for a little while. I go play at Parks Casino Poker sometimes. And anytime I'm in that area, I now stop in literally to go to Reading Terminal and get this sandwich. It's at the Knicks. It's the roast pork sandwich with sharp provolone and broccoli rob. This is the single best sandwich in America. And I'm curious to hear if anyone else agrees or disagrees with this. The, the Knicks, roast pork, sharp provolone, broccoli rob. Do it up, baby. Whenever you're in Philly, go ahead and get it. But Louis Mangio wants to know, Dan, I'm watching the Bucks game and I couldn't help but realize how effective Dom Kasu is. After the announcers harped on, he signed a one-year deal with Tampa this offseason. Any chance the Giants take a shot on him if they let Tomlinson, Leonard Williams, or both walk in free agency? I can see that happening, Dan. To be honest, I know this question is prefaced with "Hey, Dan," but uh, <laughs> I, I do believe that that can uh, be a course of action that they go with one of those veteran defensive tackles who have kind of been bouncing around. But with that said, I, I don't Sue. I don't know if he's this two-gapping type of nose that you really want such to play the role that Dallin Tomlinson played because he's more of that three technique he's one gap penetrator can get up win and pass rushing situations is solid against the run but that's a totally different player than what Dalvin Tomlinson does and I think Giants fans just have to realize the important I know defensive tackles they look the same they look similar what Dalvin Tomlinson does for this defense is very very unique and it can't be understated because not a lot of people can eat up double teams and allow their linebackers to flow over the top scrape over the top and make plays in the gap because the blockers can't get to them because Dalvin Tomlinson is gobbling up 600 pounds of man <laughs> he's able to do that he's incredibly incredibly good at what he does without a doubt and I think only thing I would add because I think Nick nailed that I do believe Dom Gasu has been an incredibly underrated player for like five straight years now it's true but system fits more important and also I think the Giants are going to need to finally at some point make the decision to go a different route when it comes to addressing the interior defensive line this is the deepest position in the NFL, arguably, with the exception of maybe running back. There are different ways to fill your interior defensive line out. There are different ways to do it via the draft, via free agency. I mean, God, Mario Edwards, Austin Johnson, these guys are flowing around for basically free every single offseason. And in limited snaps, they look awesome every single season. It's like, these are just two names, but there's tons of guys throughout the draft. It's it's a position that will always go under the radar especially the guys who can't rush the passer as well so i think they need to go a different route they need to 
invest a little bit differently in that position so ultimately if they do let these guys walk i'd actually hope they look to fill this via underrated unheralded veterans in free agency like the austin johnson types or via those mid day three picks in the draft i'm wondering if tomlinson does end up walking do they just try and move Dexter Lawrence, who I feel like is a different player than Tomlinson, into that role, but he has the frame to do so? He's going to have to really learn to eat double teams, something yeah. that he has done and we have seen, and we also seen him do at an adequate level, whereas I think Dalvin Tomlinson does it at an excellent level, but he's still a young player, and it's something that I feel like he's capable of possibly learning. He's going to have to get a little bit stronger at the point of attack. He's not going to be as much of a penetrator. He's going to be much more of a kind of stay put, hold those blockers type of player, where that's not necessarily the role that he was in last year with Patrick Graham. It's a great point, and there's still a lot to play out. We're going to get to all of it as it develops in the Giants season. But that's all we have for today on this profile, JC Horn, with a couple questions thrown out at the end from the listeners. For everyone who tunes into the podcast, thank you again for taking the time to download and listen to our podcast and be fans of our show. We love it. We're so happy that what this has grown to. We can't wait for this to grow even bigger. We're going to have more content like this throughout the offseason. Thank you to everyone who's taken the time to rate and review us on iTunes. Like I said in the last show, we're up to 458 ratings. Goose 15 just left us a rating. Mikey 78. Crash Radio. Awesome podcast from 11569226 very unique name six eggs six another five-star review really appreciate all of these reviews do you think six eggs six means that he has six eggs for breakfast six days of the week i think if you have six eggs for breakfast six days of the week you're going to probably want to make an appointment with your doctor because your cholesterol is going to be absolutely through the roof yes but you would probably have (laughs) massive gains you would have (laughs) massive gains if you did ultimately pair it with a lifting regime and something of that nature but not we six eggs six might just be some guy who just fires eggs daily hard boiled soft boiled medium boiled doesn't matter to him he's scrambling them he's doing them over easy he doesn't care it's six eggs six that's six days a week six eggs every day Hmm. so if that is you six eggs six out there let us know drop us a line and on that note have a great rest of your week everyone and we'll talk to you soon